You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Police box. What on earth is he doing here? Hey, these things are usually on the street. I feel it. I feel it. You feel it? It's a faint vibration. It's alive. Earth Station Who, a fun mashup celebrating nearly fifty years of Doctor Who universe. Hold tight. You never know where the TARDIS is going next. Who are you? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that again. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Now please, get off this planet while you still have a choice. Hey everyone, welcome to Earth Station Who, and we are back, and we are going to be continuing our journey through space and time. And we're going back to the third Doctor's era. And I guess we should go by the proper name of this episode. And it's, it's technically called Doctor Who and the Silurians. It's one of the only episodes and storylines that actually call it Doctor Who. And so have it in the title. So it's pretty interesting to do. I know they had a couple single episodes during the first Doctor's era that used it. But this is the first time an actual storyline actually used it. So it's going to be interesting to talk about it, and we've seen a lot of the Solarians since, so this is the groundwork, this is setting the floor, and this is a second story with the third Doctor, so it should be real interesting to see where we are with it and what everyone thought. But before we get started, <laughs> let's welcome our guest tonight. We have another Michael with us. Let's welcome Michael Broussard. Welcome to the show, sir. Great to be here, at last. Yes, at last you are here. You've made it. That's a little <laughs> off-camera stuff, you know, but yeah. but it's really great to talk to you, and you actually are a Third Doctor cosplayer. Yes, I am a Third Doctor cosplayer. I started back in the mid-'80s and uh, took a little, uh, like, a 30-year hiatus toward the end of the 80s and then came back again in 2016. That is awesome. So now the hair is the actual gray, right? The hair is the actual gray. And I stand like Pertwee at the age he was, because I'm at the age he was when he was uh, when he first joined the show. We we're both pretty decrepit. Oh, the, join the club, my friend. Join the club. You're amongst your your elders here, or peers, or whatever you want to call us. But it's great oh, to have you on the show. And you know, where could people find you? You know, to see your pictures of you, Justice Pertwee, and such. Well, on Instagram, I'm be cool cosplay two E's and B. And uh, I'm also Be Cool Cosplay on Facebook. So that's where you can find me. Oh, excellent. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> I, uh, Mike Gordon actually showed me some of your pictures, and I'm amazed. You look great as the third doctor. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate I, A lot of hard work has gone into it. Um, in particular, uh, designing the wig with a drag queen friend of mine. If you want a really good wig for your cosplay, go to a drag queen. They do it the best. That's what I've heard. That is awesome. And where are you based out of? I live just outside of Philadelphia in a little suburb called Lansdowne. Oh, okay. Know exactly where that is. Cool. Wow. You're the only person I've ever said that to who knew where I was. Oh, I grew up in uh, Levittown, so I know oh, that area. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're, we're almost neighbors. Exactly. So that's very cool, though. Um, so do you do a lot of cons as the third doctor? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done a con. I haven't done any con not as the third Doctor since I came back, um, and I'm starting to do variations because, you know, people do different cosplays, different characters. But he was just such a clothes horse that it's so it's intensely wonderful to uh, go through all the different episodes and find all the variations and walk around in velvet and and Inverness capes and all that wonderful stuff because. I'm kind of a close horse myself. Ah, uh, so you're just as flamboyant as the third doctor was. Got it. I hope so. That's very cool. Well, welcome to the show. And, and I will remind people where they could find you at the end of the show. But we sure. also have our regular co-host with us. Let's welcome, of course, Mary Ogle. Hi, everybody. It is great to be here. It's always fun talking Doctor Who with you. 
It is always fun being here. I'm really glad we get to talk about these episodes. And of course, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. And I'm glad I warned you how long this, this storyline was. <laughs> yeah, me too. Cause uh, yeah, that uh, I didn't, I was really busy this weekend. So it was really tough to put it, uh, to try to make time for it. And I had only really made time for a four parter, maybe. And uh, when you said it was seven, I was like, Oh, well, okay <laughs> then I better, uh, I better watch this over the course of a couple nights. So uh, I, I got it done. But uh, yeah, thanks for the heads up. Oh, no problem. Hell, Mary thought it was selling six episodes, so it's okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them were more forgettable than others. Uh, but uh, no, it, you know what? In, 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 I think last year, last year we kind of OD'd on the third Doctor. We had a lot of Pertwee stories that we did. It felt like in a row. And so it got kind of burnt out. But I will say it's been a while. So once this started up, I was like, Oh, this is nice. Like, it just felt really good to, <laughs> it's been a long time since we, it felt like it'd been a long time since we watched the third Doctor story. So mm-hmm. I, exactly. think, I think we waited the amount of, the, the, the appropriate amount of time. And we haven't seen a ton of the Liz Shaw stories. So, which no, is also nice. No, no. Great seeing Liz again. There's, there's not enough of them, unfortunately. There's not yeah. enough of them. That I love Joe, but Liz was unique because she was, you know, she could match the Doctor. Uh, you she know, was competent. He was confident yeah. he as much as he did. Uh, and there's actually a really good moment in this story, uh, which kind of defines who Liz was. Mm-hmm. Yes. Liz, I know we're going to talk all about it. We'll that. talk all about it in a few minutes, though. Sure, sure, sure. Definitely. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm breaking the rules. I apologize. That's okay. Hey, you know what? We, we, like, we like enthusiasm. This is good. I like this. This is really good. And the third doctor broke the rules all the time, so it was even better. So you're just living up to your namesake. I guess I am, yes. So that is pretty cool. But we want to also hear from the people at home. Please write us at eswpodcast at gmail.com. We definitely would love to get some feedback from you on this. So, you know, definitely drop us a line. Um, always, we always forget to talk about, we have a fantastic Facebook group out there. We have a lot of interaction with our fans. Um, just look up Earth Station Who up on Facebook and we... You know, we post stuff, news, we have discussions about Doctor Who, we put up funny memes, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, why not get involved with that? You know, there's always great things. And we've had it for quite a few years, but we just always forget to talk about it. So please, you know, if you ever get a chance, if Facebook's your thing, please definitely stop in. We also have a Twitter account that we've started up and we're starting to establish ourselves up on Twitter. So definitely, you know, Earth Station Who and social media goes hand in hand you know it's almost perfect speaking of hand in hand i want to give a quick shout out to our folks at our patreon that's right i can't get through this beginning without talking about our patreon folks thank you thank you for supporting us uh for as little as 25 cents a week not that bad a dollar a month you can become a patron of the eso network and earth station who is a proud member of the eso network and you know we got four new levels. We have, you know, dollar level. We have the $5 level. We have the $10 level and we have the brand new $15 level. So, you know, you can help support us at all these different levels and each reign, you know, of it or reign of terror. Some people might call it, you know, you could even say, you know, you get different benefits for it. Some have, you know, you automatically at no matter which level you get, you get any of the Earth Station One, Earth Station Who, Dragon Con, Con Report, or some of the other specials that we put out 48 hours before the general public, all as a member of Patreon on any of the levels. But any of the other levels you have, you know, special uh, Patreon direct only podcasts, You'll get some swag. You know, you'll get some really cool stuff up there. But definitely check us out. Patreon.com slash ESO Network. And we do yeah. appreciate you guys. We've got some panels from, from Hulanta that we're going to make. Uh, uh, we're going to release soon to only our patrons. Mm-hmm. We put out the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody panel about two weeks ago. And we have another yeah. one coming this at your way this week. So, so it should be a lot of fun to see what's going to be up there. And we also have, you know, different stuff like um last year mike and i did a doctor who panel at atlanta comic-con and that will be up there you know that's up on our patreon so 
you definitely, you know, things like that are available to you guys, you know, exclusive only to our folks who help support us. You know, our show is always going to be free to you, but you just have to wait a couple more days other than the Patreons. So it's a little plus plus and win-win for everybody. So pretty cool. All right, enough shilling. Let's get into Doctor Who news. Not a ton of Doctor Who news from the new series yet. Um, They've been very tight-lipped. You know, there's, you know, rumor coming out that, you know, Chibnall is saying that, you know, he's going to be trying to make this new season a lot more like the Moffat and RTD era. And so I'm sure we're going to see an episode with, you know, you know, I, you know, I dust or, you know, or. You that know. is not what that means. <laughs> or yeah, Chloe, I don't think that's what that means. Or, or, Chloe, Webber, or Chloe Weber <laughs> and stuff like that, you know, you know, with a drawing in her closet, you know, that kind of stuff we're going to see. Right. Huh? No. I hope they're talking the best of okay. what characterized those eras. <laughs> I hope. I'm sorry. I'm not being funny about it. I'm, but that's what I, that's what my heart, I hope. No, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. And we're probably, I want to say we're probably a good nine months away from seeing mm-hmm. Doctor Who. Yeah. They haven't even said if they're going to be doing a New Year's special this year. So, right. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. And, you know, any tidbits we get, we'll talk to you guys about it. But other news, there is a new DVD set that um, for the fans of the animated Doctor Who stuff, Right, Mike? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this kind of uh, came out like sort of under the radar. I don't, I don't remember seeing too many announcements about this, but they just sort of BBC released a um, collection of some of the animated adventures featuring uh, the Doctors, uh, including the two animated adventures with the Tenth Doctor, Dreamland and Infinite Quest. Uh, also included is the Power of the Daleks, which is the Second Doctor uh, animated. Um, it's a restoration of the um, uh, the actual episodes that don't exist anymore. Uh, and then um, Scream of the Shalka, which we reviewed uh, not too long ago uh, on this podcast. And that's not an, a quote-unquote an official Doctor Who story, but uh, it's a fun one. And uh, Shada, which is uh, just recently released, the fourth Doctor adventure, which they completed with animation. So, so you've got those... Um, uh, those that are part of this collection, over seven hours of content, and uh, you can get them. It's on DVD, not Blu-ray. It's on oh, DVD. That was my next question, actually, to you. Yeah, it's on. It's on DVD and digital release. Um, and like I said, not uh, Blu-ray. And yes, you can get it uh, almost any. You can get it at Amazon and all the other you know usual places. However, if you get yours through Walmart, they have an exclusive that features cover art uh on the dvd uh back and front different cover art by good friend of the station artist extraordinaire kelly yates and uh it is a gorgeous piece of artwork that he did for uh the back and front cover and uh i i to me it was worth it just to just to get see his artwork uh on this collection now uh if you've already owned these especially if you already own these in blu-ray um, there's not a huge, uh, advantage to getting this collection, uh, especially because this is a DVD set, uh, it's two DVDs and there's no bonus material at all. It's just the stories. So if you're, uh, but the price is, is pretty reasonable. It's only 15 bucks and that's no matter where you get it. Uh, so, um, that's not bad for seven stories of Doctor Who. So um, uh, congratulations to Kelly, though. This is the first time his artwork has appeared on, on a DVD, mass-produced DVD like this. Um, and uh, if anybody from the BBC is listening, uh, hire him for more stuff because his artwork is gorgeous and, uh, and I'm sure has uh, sold some copies of this DVD for you. That is awesome. Yeah, I've seen the covers, and he has like alternate versions of the covers and such, and it looks beautiful. Yeah, he's got the artwork, the original artwork, posted on his blog now on his website, uh, so you can take a look at that and see what it's what's how it's different from what actually made the DVD. But uh, 
Um, it's great artwork. It's it, and it features my three top favorite doctors. So four, a two, four, and ten. So uh, so for me, I'm like it's just it's just perfect. Um, I, I want a big print of it. Cool. He probably can uh, take you up on that too. So, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as uh, I, you know, the collection, there's some things that I didn't have, like I didn't have uh, Scream of the Shalka, uh, didn't have uh, Infinite Quest and Dreamland. So, and I think if you get Dreamland and Infinite Quest, I think it's about the same price for that DVD now. That might that DVD might be out of print now, actually. I think it is. Yeah. So, so this might be the only way going forward to get this stuff. That's awesome. Too bad they didn't do it in high dev, though. Yeah, that's there's the complaints that I've seen online are a that there's no special features and b that it's not in, on Blu-ray; it's on DVD. Nope, totally understand that. Totally understand that. Uh, we also got an announcement today about being released. <laughs> Speaking of being on Blu-ray, uh, yes, being on Blu-ray. One of our favorite Colin Baker episodes ever. Yes, the storyline that we are going to be reviewing when we decide to call it quits on this podcast. <laughs> That's right, folks. Trial of a Time Lord. I think, what's season 27 of Doctor Who? Goodness. Is now going to be put out on Blu-ray with um, tightened music and uh, better special effects. Still the same story, but... <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't that. That. yeah what did they say years ago you can't put lipstick on a pig wow <laughs> so yeah it's not our favorite storyline and i'm happy to for colin that his story is getting the blu-ray treatment and to some people you know all the power to you if you love it like it you know whatever but for us it's not, you know, one that we would be looking forward to talking about. And we actually even have requests from people who want to sit in with us when we do that story. <laughs> so you know who you are at home. You're listening. <laughs> so I definitely think, you know, we'll eventually get there, but not for quite some time. We have a big, uh, big finish, you know, library to go through first. <laughs> And then we'll talk about all the Target books. And then we'll talk all about <laughs> all the, the the missing years. And then we'll talk about something. Torchwood. Anything. Yeah, that's it. Yes. I, I tell you what, though. I mean, despite the fact that I'm really happy for Kelly and, I, you know, that's great artwork that he, a uh, great opportunity for him. Uh, these two are examples of how I just find the release schedule of what BBC is doing just completely insane. Mm-hmm. Like, like exactly how why how they choose to release what just makes no sense to me. No, it doesn't make any sense. But this also shows that you know they didn't want to put on Colin's first season of Doctor Who either. You know, on Blu-ray. You know, the twin dilemma and you know stuff like that. So you know, I did like the. Is this better? Okay. So anyway. <laughs> So I'm assuming the next that we're going to get on Blu-ray after this is going to be a Sylvester um, season. Oh, you think? Like, who knows what it's going to be? Yeah. Could be anything. Well, because they've done Tom's first season and his last season. Right. And so who knows? Fifth Doctor, some season of the Fifth Doctor. Yes. Uh, And now we've got this season, uh, and that's, yeah, it. Yeah, um, or unless they decide to do the key of time or something, you know, slowly, you know, do all of Tom's years. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Nope. I, I cannot predict what they do because it's crazy. No, exactly. So if anyone wants to give us like a 30 second review of the Blu ray, feel free to, you know, contact us here up on the station <laughs> and we'll bring you on the air. Because that's the only, the only amount of time that we're going to get. Right. Yep. I don't yep. know how you could even get a whole 30 seconds out of it. Wow. Oh, exactly. I did like the commercial they had for it, though, with Colin on trial. That, that was cute. It was cute. And I like how they tied you know, Perry in at the end. <laughs> what are you in here for being married to Brian Bronson? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty awesome. 
so yeah so we got that um also we got some news about a new doctor who convention um taking the place of long island who uh michael you want to talk about that real quick sure um it's a new convention run by ken deep who's run long island who all these years and anyone who's been to a long island who convention knows that it's really one of the best most fan oriented conventions out there so this is in good hands it's not going to be as big as Long Island Who. It's a smaller event. Uh, we haven't heard anything about guests, but we do know that it's called an Unearthly Con. And we do know that uh, the uh, memberships will go on sale July 1st. And the room block should uh, happen somewhere probably within that week from what Ken was telling me. And although there are no guest announcements, I feel perfectly confident in investing in that convention because of the experience I've had with his events. No, totally understand. Ken has done a great job over the years with Long Island Who. And actually, he was one of the first Doctor Who podcasters I had ever listened to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, me too. So, Very cool. So, yeah, him and Lewis. So, definitely, you know, these are very influential people in the Doctor yep. Who fan community. And they, you know, they've, for the East Coast, they are, Long Island Who was a mainstay. For many, yep. many years. Yep. You know, you had Gallifrey on the West Coast and you had Long Island Who on the East Coast. And, you know, things just happened. And, you know, so this is, it's regeneration now, you could say. Is it, is yeah. it replacing that convention or is this just an added it's not, event? It's an added thing from what Ken was saying. It's not replacing it so much as he right now is in a position to do something smaller. And he would like to do a, a smaller, kind of more intimate uh, event um he used again the words that they used to use for long island who which is it's an up close and personal kind of convention okay. and so it's limited to 500 people it's at a smaller hotel but i think it will be what ken has done so far i mean i just real quick one of the things i said earlier uh and was that uh ken's long island who was the first con i went to after 30 years of being out of cons completely and away from fandom and i immediately found that this reminded me of conventions I've gone to in the eighties because he knows what he's doing. So yeah, I I don't think they're replacing it so much as they're offering another option for those of us on the East coast. Cool. Yeah. Cause a lot of people can't get out to Los Angeles to go to Gallifrey each Mm -hmm. year. And a lot of the smaller doctor who cons we've been seeing this last year have been falling off Mm -hmm. and disappearing. Uh, We had that here in Atlanta with Hulanta, which was its last year. And I think the con that was up in Maryland. Regeneration Who? Died this year. Is gone now. Yeah. So pretty much I know con. And then the one in Tennessee is gone. Is that true too? Yes. Okay. Uh, And of course, con Castor Burris is coming back next year, but it took this year off. Yep. And so, you know, we have, you know, it's getting farther and farther. And, you know, there's still Chicago TARDIS. But, you know, that's Chicago, you know, it's mm-hmm. the same thing, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Central. And, you know, it's nice that the East Coast is still going to be represented, even if it's a smaller venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at least it's represented also by somebody who is going to give us something that is going to draw people in, will draw people in because they know what they're getting. You know, I mean, Regen was so sad because it was such a beautifully fan oriented con and things just fell apart with them. So this coming back is like, you know, the sun coming up for a lot of us. Exactly. And this is, this is like almost like a rebirth and hopefully it'll catch, you know, and catch ground and, you know, get into, you know, and become a repeat thing year after year. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, like we keep on saying good people running it. Right. So that's awesome. When is it happening? When it's happening? Yeah. November 23rd and 24th. Isn't that really close to Chicago TARDIS? The week before. It's the week before, yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's tight. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Well, you know. Well, Thanksgiving is falling late this year. So I guess he almost had like almost an extra week. And that's where mm-hmm. they figured they could do it. Right. It would yeah, have been better. Like, if- it sounds like they're not going for the same kind of thing though like it sounds the like- same magnet they're not going for the same magnitude at all exactly. and it's, it's it's more of a sort of intimate which is nothing chicago tires is wonderful too oh absolutely i'm actually booked to go to galley for the first time next year you're gonna love it that's where mary and i met for the first time yeah. in person that's beautiful so it was awesome we went god it's like three years ago now wow. so 
Yeah, exactly. Time flies when you're having so much fun. So, so yeah, it definitely is, you know, Gallifrey is a wonderful con, uh, but you know, they cap the, the crowds at like 3,500 people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's hard to get into a lot of times. Um, but you know, even that I've heard has slowed down. It used for, for mm -hmm. a while, it was, you know, selling out in the first day. And now it's, you know, a week and a half later after the tickets go on sale, tickets are still available. So, you know, I think it's the whole con industry itself too. You know, there's well, just, the there's, there's, there's so much out there. Well, that's true, but it's also the fact that, I mean, here we are with a, a year without new who. So I think that has, I mean, the, 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 um, the gap between seasons, I don't think has helped. Nope. Agreed. 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 So we'll have to find out. And thank you for that information, Michael. No problem. All right. That's going to wrap up our news segment. I think that is it. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment. And we are going to be talking about Doctor Who and the Solarians. Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. Welcome back. Now we are going to be talking all about Doctor Who and the Solarians. It's the second serial in the seventh season of the British science fiction television series, Doctor Who. And it came to us on January 31st, 1970 and ran for seven weeks. That's right. They didn't think war games was long enough. So they said, Hey, <laughs> 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 Let's it's still shorter than war games. <laughs> it is. It is just yes. just barely. Just barely. Yes. Uh and it was it was interesting because it was an introduction to the Solarians. And this is the second story with Pertwee. And it was a really interesting take because, you know, in the first one you had mannequins as the bad guys. And this one, you actually had, you know, an alien race that was from Earth that, you know, you know, spun off from the dinosaurs and, you know, was intelligent. And, you know, it was very interesting to see. And the Solarians have come back multiple times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these aren't um, Madame Vastra's Solarians by no way. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all. No, and it was, it was interesting because... This is the first time I've ever seen this one. So it was interesting to watch this one. I've read this, I read the target book, but I had never seen it. So I knew what was coming in a lot of ways. And it really established a lot of the third doctor and also his interaction with both Liz mm -hmm. Shaw and with unit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many things uh, that would become themes of his era are, present here. Uh, the fact that the story, you know, one of the themes it carries is the conflict between militarism and diplomacy, which came again and again and again throughout his, his series. The fact that he often distrusted the brigadier to the degree that he wouldn't tell the brigadier some of the things he knew. That's, you know, it's a certain amount of deceit there, but he's doing it because he's judged unit and the brigadier to be, not capable of handling the information. And that would happen again and again throughout his, his uh, tenure. Well, exactly. And even at the end of the storyline, you know, literally the brigadier tells him one thing and ends up doing something completely mm -hmm. that the doctor was totally against. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the brigadier definitely proves himself not trustworthy. <laughs> it's true. 
in the story. Pulls a, pulls a Harriet on him. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. Yes. He looks tired, yeah, though. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, it had been a while since we'd seen uh, a third doctor story. And uh, as I mentioned before, we got kind of burned out of them, but I'll tell you what, within five minutes of uh, seeing uh, Pertwee and uh, Liz Shaw and the Brigadier, man, did I miss him. Mm-hmm. We haven't, it seems like we haven't seen a story featuring the Brigadier in a while. And, and even though this is only their second adventure together, they feel this doesn't feel like a second adventure. This feel feels like um, you know they've been doing it for a while. Of course, by the end of this, they had because it was like seven episodes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I uh, um, and yes, I think it's a good point because we think of Pertwee as being like the action doctor, the guy who's like you know with his hands could like, really throw down and and, and all about combat. But several times in this, he's all about peace. He's trying to find a peaceful solution. He doesn't want war, and he's really disgusted by those who do. And right. uh, it's really in your face. I, mm-hmm. I think it's a real, like it's a very strong, very strong uh, element of Doctor Who that sometimes that we forget about. Yeah, well, it's wonderful about it too. Is the commentary isn't the humans are stupid and the aliens are peaceful. The commentary is that beings on both sides are making presumptions about each other and there's the doctor in the middle. So I don't think a lot of science fiction shows or a lot of shows of that time or, or even movies were dealing with what is essentially a sophisticated idea for that point in time in science fiction. You know, you would find that certainly in books, but you wouldn't find that in television and film a lot of the time. And he's in the middle there trying to get people to trust each other. And what does this sound like? except the Zygon invasion and the Zygon inversion. You know, they brought that whole theme back beautifully. There's a great uh, recording on YouTube. Just look up uh, John Pertwee doing the Zygon uh, speech from those episodes, the speech at the end about war. Um, And it's a John Pertwee uh, impressionist and he's doing beautifully and you hear it and you're like, this speech was written for Pertwee. Mm. It sounds like it was written for Pertwee. I, I, yeah, I love the fact that um, throughout this, I mean, even though people are dying, he's not trying, he's not trying to track down the killer. He's trying, mm-hmm. he's, he's intrigued by who this species is and, and how he can preserve them and, and help them uh, because he, what he sees, what, what we see or what the humans see as, you know, anything from annoyance to dangerous, like, you know, mm-hmm. war situation he sees as just just miscommunication. Yeah, well, and there's also a lot of there's a lot of selfish humans. Yeah. In that. Yes. There, oh, there was also a I lot mean, of selfish Silurians too. Well, exactly, which is so fascinating. Well, there's actually I think there's less selfish Silurians. I mean, even the guy at the end I think is really working more from a premise of wanting to preserve his people, whereas most of the humans are working for themselves. Well, they only had three suits, I mean, Mary. So <laughs> there is that. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I always assumed there was a bigger civilization, right? And we, just because we saw one Silurian who had the idea that they should cooperate, it wasn't the only one who believed that. All of his friends may have been in hibernation, but he wasn't the only one that believed that. Well, they couldn't have been because uh, you know when the one Solarian, uh, you know, the tall one, the aggressive one, mm-hmm. makes the move to finally become leader. There's no opposition. Mm-hmm. Right. No, they just fall yeah, in line. Just like, yep, <laughs> right. that makes sense to us. So, uh, so yeah, um, that. But there's actually, yeah, there's a lot of interesting subtext going on here with 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 the humans. I mean, it, it's it's a seven parter, but and it may be about three parts too long. But <laughs> it's you know, Malcolm Hulk is a good writer. And he's trying very yeah. hard to fill those those seven parts with with interest and with a lot of subplots going on, and and in, you know it's not I didn't feel like there was filler right. here, and there there easily could have been in with this many episodes, and so kudos to you, Malcolm. Yeah, I agree. I I was kind of surprised. I I was expecting like two or three episodes to be like, oh yeah, nothing's really going to happen here, but the story does move along, and then. 
it's weird because you get to the like the last couple and this epidemic is sweeping the world and you're kind of like how are they going to wrap this up in two episodes <laughs> it accelerates all of a sudden <laughs> yeah all of a sudden it's like wow that escalated quickly <laughs> like <it's- laughs> Yeah, they found the antidote awfully quickly, but that's okay. Here's my question about the antidote, though. So how did they inoculate everybody in the world? What what did they do exactly? (laughs) Everybody line up over there, and we'll get you. Right. (laughs) Exactly, and people were dropping like flies, literally. It was such a – the disease was so immediately effective, the virus, that I don't – you know what? I just took it for rote that they worked it out because that's what you do when a show is made for, you know, a pound and a half. And to get the same budget as a soap opera does, you're like, well, it was fine. Also, it was a virus, and they were inoculating people with antibiotics in the beginning, and I'm like, well, that's not going to do that's anything. That's what I thought, too. Like, <laughs> okay. Why isn't everyone dead at the, you know, in the installation right now? Although uh, I, did watch, I enjoyed watching Peter Miles, with the sores on his face, finally lose his mind completely. Mm-hmm. That was incredible because yeah. Miles has it's why he's so good as Niter. He has this air of barely contained hysteria throughout the story. Like he's just about to explode and loses. And then he does. And it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah, he's he's been percolating for six episodes. So finally boom, it blows up. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, go ahead, Mike. No, I agree. And it was like the people who were running that station were just so frippin' selfish. Mm-hmm. And they were only thinking about their careers, not the betterment of humanity, of creating this, you know, power source that was supposed to revolutionize, you know, the energy in- industry and everything. And they were a bunch of bozos, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd like to think that yeah. a research center would be full of scientists that would that, <laughs> are not, that are about the greater good, but instead, like, yeah, not even not one of them <laughs> is. is the guy we thought was so nice, uh, uh, the uh, was Dr. Quinn, right at the beginning. He seemed like a guy with a level head. He ends <laughs> yeah. up blackmailing the the uh, the Silurians to get the tech info he wants from them. He's going to hold on to yeah. their guy until you know they relent. Mm-hmm. Actually, really everyone's got their own agenda. Everybody had their own agenda. Oh, exactly. And I actually <laughs> thought that the Solarian didn't kill him. I thought it was that woman. Really? Scientist. Yeah. Yeah. And blame it on the Solarians for some reason. That's the, fe- that's the feeling I got when I first started mm. watching it. And it was just like, oh. Mm. So. Well, he was treating her pretty badly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why I was thinking, and it was just like, oh, you know, that's a possibility. Hmm. So I, I never saw it that way, but now I'm you really make a good. So case if you think silly. about it, I mean, it's not just that it's not just that the humans and Silurians can't work together; it's that the humans right. can't work together. <laughs> <With each other. laughs> so. Exactly. Um. All right, I want to pause for a minute uh, and talk about the amazing, uh, per- amazing character that is Liz Shaw. I've missed her oh. tremendously. Oh. Yes. Yeah, yes. she was great. Um, and, you know, I mean, so often we are uh, talk about these stories and the companions are the companions, right? They're, they're dumb, they're whatever, you know? Uh, but, a big bag of hair. Right. She is, <laughs> she is so capable. And, uh, and really like so underutilized as well, but still she has moments that are just great. And, uh, Carol and John, I don't think it's near enough credit as being like, I haven't seen a lot of Liz Shaw episodes, maybe th- three stories, I think total, but I'm like, she is like, everyone I see makes her rise up to my favorite companions list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mine too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, I love how she stood up to the brigadier many times in the story. Yes. Yeah. Well, when he yeah, she never he asked her down. to get on the phone, man. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, what? Yeah, she just comes right back. You want me to dust the office too? <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, even the doctor was like, yeah, yeah, let's get on the phones. Mm. It was. She didn't yeah. stay there. No, not at all. And she actually technically 
after taking the doctor's notes that he hadn't finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for her, yeah. yeah. Still be going. She's the one who comes up with. with well, exactly. Yes, yeah, that's true. This is what I'm saying about her knowledge is often equal to the doctor's knowledge. She rises to that challenge. And I think that sometimes people who made the show were afraid of somebody who was a companion who was equal to the doctor. Yeah. Then how, why is he the doctor? Why is he there? Well, and this is the first time the doctor really has had an equal companion. Yeah, I love that. Because, you know, you had Zoe. Uh, Zoe. I, so, I was going to say Zoe's pretty uh, capable. Yeah, okay, but, go, yeah. yeah, but she was a mathematician. She wasn't a scientist. That's true. That's true. And everything. You know, she was able to keep up with Troughton's doctor, but she wasn't, you know, she wasn't capable like what Liz Shaw was doing today in the mm-hmm. storyline. And right. right. Which was really awesome to see. Yeah, you don't usually get in these classic who's you don't usually get a story in which the doctor has to avert a crisis on one side and the companion has to avert a crisis on another. Right. It's usually the doctor has to like does both and the companion gets in the way or something like that. And so I, I really, yeah, man, I, who she's just great. Um, and, and the actress, he's like Carolyn John, she's amazing. Yes. And I, I love the fact that, like you said, they were equally taking part in solving this crisis and they were both important. Like we see a lot of modern who we see a lot of companions who have individual skills that are very important to the mission. And that's great to see an old who, cause it, you know, we didn't, we didn't catch it a lot. Even in the beginning when they, when they first go to the, the research center, the doctor quickly is, uh, you know, is characterized as being the guy who's going to look at the technically what's going on here. But she mm-hmm. goes and looks at like the people like, yep, and yep. so I really like the fact that right from the beginning, they kind of split up into two different parts and each one is valuable and competent. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, it's so yeah. rare. Like It's just amazing. <laughs> like, and it's not to dismiss like all the other stuff, but it's like, when you see this episode, you're like this story, you're like, wow, they, they got it. <laughs> there are plenty of other companions that I love, but Liz is the one that, I just wish, as you said, there was more of her because watching her, you know, dodge and parry with the doctor back and forth was so interesting and watching them work side by side was so interesting. So, you know, there's a lot of, like, I can't, I love Sarah Jane. I love Joe Grant. I love, I love Harry for my own reasons. Um, but, you know, he's, he's lovable in his way. Um, but Liz was just something, as you said, totally unique to the series and something we wouldn't get again until until decades later. Yeah, but really ahead of her time. Mm-hmm, uh, absolutely. Ab- and uh and uh you know, speaking of that, um you know, Pertwee is great. He's 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 not uh, even though this is only his second story, it doesn't feel like he's, you know, awkward at all. He's just the doctor. Um brilliantly uh me- you know, going through lines. And I like the fact that he's written in a way that, yes, he is, he is the doctor. He is from another planet. He is uh, a, a time Lord. He is uh, old, um, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't rely on that so much. I think more than any other doctor, he really masks that and only brings that up. It only comes up when it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, he's actually, he's a lot more human than a lot of doctors are in the way, and especially in his social interaction. It's almost like he's, I don't want to say he's ashamed, but when it comes up, he, he, he's reluctant to, to, to be him. You know what I mean? Almost. Oh yeah. No, totally understand that. Well, I mean, he had some, (laughs) he wasn't exactly on good terms. No, no, absolutely. With his. But I mean, when the times like, you know, I mean, every, you know, he'll occasionally let it slip. Like I'm older than you are. And, Mm -hmm. but like when someone calls him on it, he backs up, you know, like, uh, this is, you know, I don't need to, I don't want to get into it with you. Right. Right. It's never an expansive discussion about how the time Lords rule the universe. And therefore I am going to look down on you tiny humans and teach you how to live your lives. Right. Yeah. He doesn't set himself apart right. in the same way. Plus this is almost like, I mean, we, you know, we forget, I mean, he is being punished here. 
Like, oh God, yeah, oh, that's yeah. really a fascinating so, thing about this era. Yeah. It yeah. really went how it starts. I I love the fact these. Well, the interesting thing about being stuck on Earth was I first started watching the show when it first came over here, like in the mid seventies. And um, I only saw a little bit of it, and it was during the period of time he was exiled on Earth. And I never saw his regeneration at that point. I had missed that point. So I had concluded that this guy was an eccentric Earth scientist with a really cool lab that was bigger on the inside than it was on the out. You know, and that's thing, what I thought he was. The thing with the story was I didn't miss the TARDIS at all in this one. No, not at all. No, no, not at all. Well, I, back in the classic Who, the, the TARDIS is only used to get you there and then get out. Like, there's very rarely do they actually, like, use the TARDIS during the story itself. So as long as, you know, like, so, like, I I don't miss it either. But then again, there's a lot of Doctor classic Doctor Who where it's, it's not really relevant. It just gets them there and then they leave in it, you know. And that that's what Bessie is Exactly. For. Oh, I love Bessie. Oh, my God. This is the first Bessie episode. Oh, my yes. God. Yes. Yes. That was so much fun. fantastic. And Such I'm, a style thing for him. Oh, yeah. And they give her like a like she's got a mind of her own, much very much like the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. I thought that oh, was wow. Yeah, I never saw that parallel. Wow, that's wow. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's funny because if the if Bessie didn't break down at the end, they would have never even seen the explosions. Right, they would not have known. Mm-hmm. Exactly, the doctor would have just assumed. You know, he would have found out on there. Oh, of course he would. So she was up to something. She was stopping him so he would see. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how the TARDIS, you know, in the doctor's wife, mm-hmm. you know, said, you know, I, you know, I took you where you needed to be. Right. That was a beautiful, beautiful line. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I don't know. Uh, I think I have seen the one after this, but it's been so long. I didn't have the context, but now I'm kind of curious to watch the first part of ambassadors to death to see if there's a lot of tension between the doctor and the brig, because there should be, you know, like after, after the end of this, you're like, why does he even talk to him at all? You know? Exactly. We've actually reviewed that about two years ago. I know. It's just like, it's been so long since we've seen it. And like I said, I didn't know the context. So I don't know if, uh, if that opens with them like sort of feuding or, uh, or what, but, yeah, it's so good to see Nicholas Courtney again. Oh, yeah. And his amazing mustache. His amazing mustache. <laughs> his amazing varying mustache throughout the, each story because he never grew one. Exactly. He Which was awesome. I, I just think it's wonderful that he refused to grow the mustache. It's the same reason I think that Cesar Romero is wonderful in Batman because he refused to shave his mustache under the makeup. <laughs> right. I'm freaking Cesar Romero, Romero. God darn it. Works for Cesar Romero. Doesn't work for Harry Cavill. Doesn't work for who? Henry Cavill. Superman. Mm -hmm. Or who, as some people say. Yeah. So, yeah, it was Um, interesting to see, though. And I did like, you know, the interaction between the Brigadier, Liz, and the Doctor was awesome. And it it was like, I almost expected to see Benton show up or something. But this is before (laughs) that, even. Right. We get we get uh, Colonel Hawkins, Paul Darrow. Exactly. It was very cool. Mm-hmm. He's just basically a, a, a teensy weensy baby Avon is what he is in this episode. In this story. <laughs> in this story. If you watch true. his body language and you watch Blake Seven, you'll see the exact same performance. Mm-hmm. Which is That's great because it works. It is. And I like already in this part, you know, when they the people at the lab are already questioning who the doctor is, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, and they were saying, we should check out his background. And then the brigadier says, you don't need to do that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. If we say he's okay. He's okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You have my word on it, you know, and well, it's just like, there was a gigantic question in the old series, you know, uh, why do, does everyone listen to the doctor when he arrives, wherever he does arrive? Why do they pay attention? Why do they, what does he do? What they, what he tells people to do. And, um, this is, you know, way before psychic paper, but I love the idea that the new series came up with a concept like psychic paper, because it finally explained the fact that he's going to all these alien planets and he's telling people what to do and they just do it. And when he arrives, people start dying. 
you know, he could be the person killing them. But he does what, you know, they do what he, what, what he tells them to do. I mean, I found that I, I, if I sat back and reflected on that, I would be like, wow, why, why are you letting this stranger order your government? I'm Lord Charisma. Charisma. You know, well, Bertrand had, enorm- well, every doctor had enormous charisma in a different way. You don't need psychic paper when you've got charisma. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you could also say that humans are pretty gullible. I mean, look okay. at some of the leaders we have now. Ooh, <laughs> um, okay, the Solarians, I love the concept of them. Um, I, I am not as, you know, I am not uh, as well-schooled as some of you guys. So I, I, were they, did they show up again before New Who after this? Yes. Because they, like, did. Yes. Yes. They showed uh, up, I'm sorry, where? Fifth Doctor. Oh, Warriors of the Deep. War- Warriors of yes. the Deep. Davis and Europe. Yep. Gotcha. We haven't done that one, right? No. Okay. We might have to. <laughs> no, it's so, a good uh, It's a good story because it has both the Solarians and the mm-hmm. Sea Devils in it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, because they're both from the same era, and it's kind of cool how they tied them both together in the storyline. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, because they've, they've got similar backstories. You know, exactly. They they own the earth. We do not. Exactly. We're just the current tenants on it, basically. Right. We're just a disease that spread out. <laughs> so, and you know, it was interesting because you know, as we had mentioned before, we started recording this. You know, the Solarians did learn that you know they're great Turkers. You know, they're basically shaking and shaking and shaking. They are very uh, spasmatic. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, it's very true. It must be, you know, body language must be part of their communication. That's all. Oh. Well, they can't move their mouths. There you go. <laughs> well, they can, though. There were some mouths moving in. Uh, yeah, I did see some mouths moving. Well, I not, thought the, the masks were not bad. Um, I thought the masks well, were terrible. If you guys were <laughs> the era, they were pretty darn good for what they had. For what they had. Well, I don't disposal. think they were good for right. the era. I bet you yeah. differ. But if you guys remember <laughs> from the Eleventh Doctor era, when they had the, the first Solarian story, mm-hmm. they had said those were masks. They were like warrior masks, right? right. On top of their faces. Yeah, they tried to hand wave yeah. it. Yeah. Was the uh, was the uh, third eye a part of the mask too? Yes, it was. <laughs> Okay. Well, there you go. But the twerking wasn't, yeah. <laughs> but twerking is a form of communication, apparently. So this was so the 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 twerking tribe was eliminated here. So yes, right. and it's been missing until the early twenty first century. <laughs> when they unfortunately return. But I, I like the idea. I like the idea of you know. I mean. You know, I mean, it's sort of like Doctor Who's version of the like Native Americans, really. Oh, of course. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, yeah. I mean, in the, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the Brigadier Deer is awful quick to commit genocide. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. And it's interesting because it touches on you know a big thing in science fiction, and you know just science in general. Thinking, you know, the Earth has been around for millions and mil- millions of years. And humans have only been around for a couple thousand. Right. And, you know, it's thinking that, you know, it's kind of egotistical of us to think we're the first intelligent species that mm-hmm. was on this planet in this that time. Mm-hmm. And they've even touched on it on different sci-fi shows. Like even, it was a Voyager did a story on that. You know, that, that they ran into a species out in space that was originally from Earth and they were mm-hmm. based off a of reptilian. That's what I'm. Uh, what I said. Uh, I, I think I said something about this earlier. That some of these concepts within these Doctor Who stories were pretty advanced, story wise, were unusual, particularly for television. Um, and years ago, when uh, I, around the time I first got into Doctor Who, uh, Harlan Ellison wrote uh, a column about Doctor Who and how why it was so great, which ended up being the introduction to some of the American releases of the novelizations. And he talked about the fact that within Doctor Who, there's all these amazing ideas that you don't see in other science fiction shows. Ideas like time and relative dimensions in space, ideas like regeneration, ideas, sophisticated ideas like a race 
that existed before us that can lay claim to this planet. I mean, as much as the stories at times got a little corny, more than a little corny, but that's okay because that's part of the charm. Some of the ideas were pretty remarkable. You know, some of the concepts are pretty remarkable. Yeah, and this, I mean, this particular story ha- actually has a lot of depth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a real moral dilemma mm-hmm. here. Yeah. That, and it's not solved easily. In fact, it's not really solved at all. It's just kind of left Well, open-ended. genocide. Yeah. It, it's finished. <laughs> no, but it, but it didn't yeah, work. That's not actually not exactly what <laughs> I meant. But the, it's, it's the way it's addressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, uh, Malcolm Hulk really, you know, he did a, he did a great job exploring all the different faucets of this. It is, it is not a, uh, a shallow one-sided story. At no, all. not at all. You're right. You're hundred percent right. It's, it is sophisticated and it's, you talk about it being seven episodes long, right? I love new who, you know, with a passion, but I miss the time sometimes they would take to develop a story to give us backstories, to get to know the sub-characters, to let things play out. And I don't have a problem with this story being seven episodes long. I think that it needed seven episodes. They told a good seven-episode story. I would like to see in Modern Who, I would like to see more, you know, for example, the the, the reboot, uh, if you want to call it, of the Silurian story is two episodes, which would be essentially four episodes of the old series. I'd like to see more things like that, at least, if not three episode stories in modern who, because it's like, you don't even get to know a lot of these uh, side characters. And to me, that was one of the things I enjoyed. You talk about the subplots that Mary, you were talking about earlier with Dr. Quinn and what he was trying to do and Dr. Lawrence and trying to save his career and Jeffrey Palmer's character, the minister coming in and trying not to make a decision. Um, All that (laughs) stuff. I mean, I miss some of that stuff in modern who often i'd like to see more of it i'd like to see more breathing room for stories oh we've talked about that multiple times that we would love to have you know multi-part stories with cliffhangers Mm -hmm. that was wonderful when they did that in the capaldi years that they had a whole season of two-parters yes that was such a good but then they did have a three-parter with that awful pyramid thing oh the pyramid oh my god oh you can't look i have an idea a giant pyramid yeah, okay, do you yeah. have a story? No, I got a, I got a giant pyramid. Exactly. It's a pyramid. Well, what it's else? A, it's mean? giant. It's oh. a pyramid. I mean, well, the, you know, Chris Chibnall wrote a two-parter for the Silurians in Cold Blood. That was great. And it, 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 it has almost the exact same, yeah. same premise, actually. Absolutely. But I, this story is better. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because we've complained many times when they've done six parters or five parters. And we've said, you know, they didn't need that many episodes. I think with this one, they did. Mm-hmm. I'm agreeing yeah. with Michael on this one. Wow. You know, I come back. I think, you know, you're, you know, you actually hit it on the head. I think this flowed really nicely. There really wasn't any like, reason for them to cut much out of this they you know i thought it was well done I, yeah i think i could cut some I, of it I, out, I, I would have cut the stuff i would have cut with the stuff with yeah. the baby t-rex because that, that that's that's oh, the one i know we just talked about you know does doctor who need a monster um and i think the slurians were monster enough i didn't think they needed a big you know baby t-rex to so, in, in the beginning did the Zygons need the Loch Ness monster? <laughs> well, yeah, we exactly. all need a Loch Ness monster, but you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the special effects of it weren't too bad for the time, mm-hmm. but looking back on it now, I'm like, no, it would have been much more interesting if it was just the Silurians. Uh, you know, attack. they could have done it without the. You're right; they could have done it yeah. without the monster. Didn't really So you didn't really need that. Uh, you could have saved a bit of money there and spent mm-hmm. it somewhere else. Uh, I think. Plus the the music. If we're gonna nitpick, the music is terrible. Oh my god, I love the music. The music is I awesome. I hate the music. That's the, every that's time the Silurians like, appear, I just want to cry. Really, absolutely. See, it works then, Mary. For different folks, I absolutely love that music. Thought it was wonderful. Oh, I despise it. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. It's okay. It's all right. It I respect really you for despising it. Me. And I respect you for liking it. I mean, every different, like you said, everybody's different. Right. But to me, it attracted from from the story because it just uh, jar- it was so jarring. Hmm. I like that it was so atonal at times. 
um, because I think it reflected some of the strange things and the conflicting things that were going on. But again, maybe I'm trying to make too much of it. Maybe it was just crappy. I don't know. Nope. Agreed. Right. Looking at the <laughs> uh, uh, research on the Wikipedia thing, it said that this was also the first story to be recorded using color studio cameras. Yes. Not, uh, not yes. And, yes. And, yes. And for the most part, I I loved it. I thought it looked fine. I didn't think sometimes the video looks a little like, you know, like video, but mm-hmm. I thought the matchup uh, between the uh, video shots and the exterior shots, the actual film shots on location matched up really well. Yeah. It wasn't like Monty Python. Oh my God, we're on film. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, it, it, it blended. I agree. It blended. Well, I, I was, uh, I was at, I believe it was the Long Island who of all places. Um, where they were talking about the fact that when the color cameras came in, because no one was trained at the BBC to use them, they had to send everybody to color camera class mm. to know what to do. And they did it ultimately, I think, brilliantly. I think the, the transition to uh, the, the, the color era of John Pertree was beautifully done. Yeah, I think though to Mary's point a little bit, they could have uh, sent the uh, makeup and costume people to to color school too, because <laughs> like the, the Solarian's costume would look much better in black and white. Yes. <laughs> well, that's, yes. That's true. And I'm sure they probably were designed originally for that. Well, of Maybe. course, yeah. We're talking about 1969, 1970. It was filmed. Yes, uh, I could I could see it look working a lot better in black and white. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So very cool. Um, I think we have a lot to say still on this, but any final thoughts before we start going ahead and scoring it? Well, um, my final thought is that I happen to like the original Silurian story and the reboot equally. And I think Chibnall did a wonderful job uh, carrying forth the spirit of the story. And that's my final thought. Okay. Awesome. All right, so we're going to go ahead and rate this one out of five TARDISes, one being the worst, five being the best. Michael, you get to go first as our guest. Ha, guess what? Five. I'm shocked. Really? Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, Mike Gordon. I can't quite go five. Um, It was really good. Um, I'm... You know what? Uh, I think I'm just going to say it's a solid four, though, because uh, even though it's not it's it's far from perfect, it's really much better than I had any right to think that it was going to be. Um, so um, and, you know, sometimes we we use that sort of uh, test of whether or not anybody could watch this if they'd never seen an episode of Doctor Who. And even though it's a little bit of a commitment because it's seven episodes, I do think that it holds a lot uh, of interest for for people who have never seen the show before. And, and, and yeah, I think it's really well done. So I'll go with four. Okay. Mary. I'm going to go four. I'll go right in the middle, 4.5. <laughs> and the reason I'm giving the extra 0.5 is Liz Shaw because she's just fantastic. In this, I, I love seeing Carolyn Johnson. It's just, she's so good. And I wish, I so wish we had more episodes with her, but these are really fun to watch. Uh, the interaction with her and Pertwee is great. And um, and it's just such a fun Pertwee episode and, and actually a very thought provoking one too. Ma- Malcolm Hope is one of the, one of the better uh, classic who writers. And, and it was really lovely to see him get, get to, to write a story like this and, and to have the time to really develop it fully. And I, I definitely would recommend it to anybody who, who's interested in classic who, and, and you get to see Liz Shaw in a really short skirt. That doesn't. Yeah, the, yeah, the, there was, there was the one scene where the doctor at the beginning was working on Bessie and Liz just walked right up to her with the short, the short skirt. And he had like a view right up. <laughs> yeah. So. And it was like, <laughs> no. it's like, well, hello there, you know. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's how they work on this show. Got it. Um, I'm going to agree with Mary actually and give it a four and a half, and pretty much for the same reasons. Uh, this is pure Doctor Who gold, and you know we've always said, 
you know, during the second Doctor era, like when we watched Invasion and then when we watched Spearhead from Space, um, which is the regeneration story, you know, this is setting the ground for, you know, the next, what, four or five years of Doctor Who until Tom came about. And, you know, the Doctor is great. And, you know, he is, you know, showing himself as you know, a leader as a true scientist, you know, how often did you get to see the doctor before this sitting in a lab with a, you know, lab coat on at a, you know, trying to figure out the blood samples and everything. It was pretty awesome. With a, with a montage. A montage. The montage. (laughs) Everything's better with a montage. (laughs) And, you know, and I had to respect the third doctor, you know, he had a tattoo on his arm. It was awesome. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Apparently the third doctor was in the Navy. Exactly. Well, of course, but he doesn't talk about that. So. Of course not. No. Yeah, exactly. The Gallifrey and Navy, what happens there stays there, you know. Exactly. So that is going to wrap up the episode for this week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and everything. Let's thank our guests. Michael, thank you. Thank you. Um, where can people find you as your cosplayer, and what con do you have coming up next? Uh, next con I will be going to will be the uh, an unearthly convention on, in Long Island, November 23rd, 24th. And then after that, I'm going to Galley. You can find me um, on Instagram as Be Cool Cosplay, two E's and B, and on Facebook at Be Cool Cosplay, two E's and B. Excellent, excellent. And thank you for making it through your first episode with us. <laughs> it was rocky there, but I made it. Exactly. And Mary, thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you. This was a great episode to talk about. I'm glad we got to go back to the third doctor and revisit this. It was really a lot of fun. And I'd also like to take this opportunity because it's Pride Month to wish everyone happy Pride. Yay! That is awesome. And Mike? As always, it's my pleasure, sir. Yay, my friend. Anything, you know, we have Doctor Who stuff not really happening until Dragon Con. Just just this show. Yeah, that's right. So That's enough, man. That is true. Who needs more than that, really? Well, exactly. <laughs> that's what we, we everyone, yeah. I was going to say, wait a minute. When you've got seven <laughs> episodes of Pertwee and Liz Shaw goodness, what, do you, what else do you need? Our exactly. next episode by George. <laughs> and we are going to be going back to the 11th Doctor era that time. And we are going to be looking at the Neil Gaiman classic. The Doctor's Wife. Ooh. Nice. So, so we're going to be talking all about that one. And, you know, it's actually another one where Rory dies. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, exactly. If you haven't seen it yet, spoiler. Well, wow, that's, that's every other yeah, one. That's, that's true. Well. He was the Kenny of Doctor Who, you know. Oh, <laughs> so thank you very much, everyone. My name is Mike Faber. We'll see you here next time on the Air Station Who podcast. Peace. And we're done. Boom. Woohoo! You have been listening to Earth Station Who, a bi-weekly pop culture podcast dedicated to all things Doctor Who, featuring talents from across the universe. All topics on the show are the sole opinions of the individual and are used for entertainment value alone. You can subscribe to our podcast up on iTunes, Stitcher, or follow our blog at www.esopodcast.com. You can also follow us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. If you enjoyed the show, please leave feedback up on iTunes. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.